0: Morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fan's Coffee Break. Mark Schlereth, Rachel V. Hill, hanging out with you. Mark, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a minute.
1: I am doing well. I'm, everything is everything is good. Plugging away. The spring is uh, upon us. Other than the wind here in Colorado, which has just been crazy lately. But uh, yeah, everything is great.
0: Good family's good. Obviously, last time we had you on, we had one of your grandkids on. They're all good.
1: Yeah, everybody is everybody is doing well. So it uh you know, just continue to plug along. Um, no question about it. So it's all good.
0: Love to hear it, Mark. Okay, let's get in to Nicole Jokic being named back to back MVPs for the NBA. First player in Colorado history. It's so cool. It's such an exciting time to be a Nuggets fan. So we're going to go into some of the best moments from his NBA MVP announcement as a whole. So we've got some pictures to show here. So we'll throw those up on the screen. So one of them is they all wore as they traveled out to Serbia some shirts that said, Some people will love to see you fail. Disappoint them. So the entire traveling um, team that went out there, they all had these shirts on. And then you also have to love that when he was on TNT last night, he had a horse in the background. You know, he was at a horse stable when all of this went down. We've got another picture of him actually riding in on a horse. That's how he got surprised. He was emotional during this. Check out the Nugget social media channel for the full video. You can see that he got quite emotional as they were there. But then we also have another video that we want to show everybody, and we'll go ahead and play it right now. I'm not flashy. Let's say like that. Oh. Dog is dying right
1: there, <laughs> but he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He, didn't, he did not die.
0: Never know what's going to happen when we uh, when we do an interview from the horse stable. Mike muted uh you love to see just different situations you know normally when you see these MVP announcements it's extremely formal but for Jokic you know he's in a horse stable there's lots of different things so if you had to pick Mark one of the best things from this announcement which one would you say
1: well I loved him riding up on the carriage right with the helmet on and you know the tank top and shorts and uh I like the bit. The first thing that blew me away, Rachel, and I'm like typical American, I have no idea of geography or history or any of that stuff. So, uh, I think you know, when I think of uh, like Serbia, right? Like where he's where he's, I think, oh, God, it gotta be snow. It looked like it was beautiful there. I'm thinking snow, I'm thinking like uh, Siberia, you know, that's how I think. When I hear Serbia, I think Siberia, I think it's gotta be cold and miserable. Look beautiful in in Serbia. Like put it on your bucket list. It looks like a great place to go. Travel out, hang out with uh, the Joker. Maybe ride some horses. I mean, who knows? Looks like a good time. So uh, I love that aspect of him that he just goes back and is you know is is who he is at all times, um, and like that. There there's something that about him that's just really special. He's not caught up in. Um, celebrity or fame or any of that stuff. I mean, he just loves to play and uh, I think he has a real sense of how blessed he is to be able to play the game and and obviously he's exceptional at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mark, a lot of people it seems like give a hard time to Jokic that he's not deserving of all that he's accomplished. Do you uh, think that's because though, he isn't, you know, the normal superstar athlete that you expect to see rolling up maybe in like Roll Royces or anything like that, because he truly is like, he loves the game of basketball, but he also loves riding horses. He loves hanging out in Serbia with his yeah. daughter.
1: Yeah. I think, I think with him, it really becomes more of a a, a product of television, And where you play. So I said this a couple of years ago, and and people just went crazy when I was saying it. And I think everybody's kind of come to that same conclusion. We are so used as fans, right? We don't know oftentimes the intricacies or the nuance of the game. But what anybody can tell, whether you played or not, you can see athleticism. Nikola Jokic, frankly, is probably one of the worst athletes in the NBA. When you're just talking about over – now, he's an exceptional athlete when you're talking about, hey, walking around the streets of any, you know, of any city in America or any city in any country. But when you're talking about NBA athletes, he is on the very bottom of the barrel. I mean, he, like, he would be the last guy you would choose um, when it comes to an athletic competition he's just a sublime, a sublime basketball player. Like he has got basketball IQ, court vision, uh, touch, uh, and and just an offensive skill set that's unmatched in the NBA. And so I think one of the things that happens is, you know, there is this bias based upon East Coast teams and teams with big markets and all that kind of stuff and what you're going to show. And like, I've been in the television business now for 23 years. I get how it works, right? We're going to focus on like in the NFL we're going to focus on the Packers and the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers and you know and, and we're going to focus on the New York teams. We're going to focus on markets that drive ratings. And so the NBA is the same. They're going to focus on the East Coast. You know, we're going to focus on the the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to focus on the Sixers. You know, they're going to focus on teams that are going to rate in Miami. Uh, They're going to focus on the L.A. Lakers because of the history, because L.A. and that market. But Denver is an NBA flyover city. So people aren't getting to watch the skill set. And when you see a highlight reel on ESPN of, for instance, of Joel Embiid, it's going to be him physically backing somebody down, then hooking him with an elbow, spinning around, and getting a two-hand slam. And Nikola's going to take four steps and do this, that, and the other, and then he's just going to finger roll one off the glass. And so you get a highlight package. You get Embiid, you know, maybe a a minute-and-a-half highlight package. They may lose, but it's a big highlight package. You get a highlight package of Nikola Jokic, and it's 21 seconds. It's a three-pointer and one really, you know, really nice move that he finishes. He 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 finishes underneath the rim and people don't like people that doesn't resonate with today's fan. They want to see the thunderous dunk. They want to see the athleticism. They want to like they want to see things that they think they can't do. Like the average fan doesn't want to see a guy that looks like a guy from the rec center who just happens to be really good, you know? They don't they don't want to see that. Uh I could go down to the rec center and see you know, some big, tall, gangly guy uh, that that throw. You know that that puts in twenty seven points. Like that, that's not what they want to see. And so that that really, it really the television part of it. Because when you look at the voting, I think uh, I think he got sixty. What did he get? Sixty one, sixty five votes for first place votes. And then he got – and and Joel Embiid got 26 first-place votes. Well, the 26 first-place votes are probably from the TV guys who don't like – you know, who don't like – who don't like that. The the 65 first-place votes are from scouts and from people who really – like who really understand the intricacies of the game. So it just is – it's just kind of one of the things that, uh, you know, that he will always have an uphill battle fighting because he's never going to be the best athlete on the court any – any given night, he, he will never be that.
0: Don't you think, though, that two thousand points, one thousand rebounds, five hundred assists in one season, being the only player in NBA history to ever achieve that, should pretty much speak for itself?
1: Um, it should, yeah, it, it should. But I've heard the same TV guys talk about Joel Embiid and how you know overcome injury issues and and issues with Ben Simmons on the team and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, wait a minute you know, in the same breath, they say, Hey, the, the Joker just hasn't done enough. Oh, wait a whoa, whoa! he didn't have his two best, like two of his four best players were out all season long. Like, like how, do you guys even, you know, obviously you don't even pay attention. You don't watch the games. Or you don't pay attention to the games. I mean, so yeah, no, it, you know, it's as a, as a Nuggets fan or as a Denver Colorado guy um, it does frustrate you, but I, I, like I do as a television guy, I understand it as a fan and a Denver guy. It it bothers me as a television guy, I understand why it happens.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's look ahead now because it is schedule release day. So many people are excited, including myself to find out who the Broncos are going to play. So Mark, knowing the opponents of this team for this upcoming year, which games are you most excited to see?
1: Well, obviously I'm excited to see them play in London. I think that's really cool. I'm excited for the Christmas day game, um, against the Rams. Absolutely love the fact that they're going to go to Seattle and play the Seahawks. I think that's, you know, I think that is just incredible. So I think that's going to be, um, unbelievable. And then, I uh, you know, I always, you always have to kind of look at the quarterback matchups, right? Like so you get arizona and kyler murray who really fancied himself after russell wilson um because they're both you know slighter in stature they're not as tall so that that should be a great quarterback quarterback matchup uh patrick mahomes twice obviously this division is just sick with the raiders and derek carr and Devontae adams the pass rushers they have uh obviously justin herbert and what he's done in his first two years with the the chargers is just incredible so The division is absolutely sick, but there's some great matchups and some great games uh, as well that I'm really excited about.
0: Okay, if you could have any game that you could call, which one would you want to?
1: Oh, shoot, Christmas Day against the Rams.
0: It could be so much fun. I'm excited. Yeah, I was a little on edge about it being on Christmas day. I was like, any of these games is going to be huge, but I think it will be a dim- different atmosphere, especially being in um, Los Angeles. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Yeah. And that if uh, the Rob Walton ends up buying the Broncos, it could be Walmart versus Walmart. That whole talk has been really interesting. Have you heard mm-hmm. any updated news on the ownership? Lots of people already asking questions.
1: No, you know, I'm just sitting back like everybody else, just waiting for it to happen. Um, You know, you you just hope, from an ownership standpoint, you just hope, we always used to have the saying uh, when I played, and Michael Dean Perry really was the guy who used to say it all the time. You know, like, owners own, players play, and coaches coach. Like, own, write checks, make sure we have the facilities, make sure we have the personnel, make sure we have all the things that we need to be competitive and then after that it's our job like don't come in and try to uh you know don't try to, to come in as an owner and try to be a scout you know don't write up scouting reports let the coaches do their thing let the players do their thing you facilitate those things happening and you know that was the way that was the way it was in Washington with Jack Kent Cook when I played there and it certainly was the way um of of the Broncos organization under Pat Bowen so yeah, you know, I just believe that I believe that you have to not only, you know, hire people, but you've got to empower people to do their job, right? You can't, you can't be a helicopter mom when it comes to ownership, right? You can't just be involved in every little aspect of it. Um, you have to, you have to you know, hire and empower people and trust them to do the work. And obviously if they don't get it done, then you fire them. But the bottom line is nobody can do it efficiently if you're circumventing or you're emasculating the coach, if you're circumventing the authority of the coach or emasculating the coach. And that's why organizations like Washington have, I mean, have just fallen on such hard times because when the owner um, consistently um, emasculates or, or uh, cuts the power of the head coach, then the players don't respect them. And when they don't respect them, then there's there, you know, there is not the, the, the system of checks and balances that you have to have to be good in the NFL. So, or in any, in any line of business. So um, I want the new ownership to have deep pockets, to spend money and uh to empower people to do their jobs.
0: As a player, as a former player, obviously for yourself, what was your true relationship like with Pat Bowen? You know, how often did you talk to him in a season? Did you ever even talk to him?
1: Yeah. Uh, I talked to him almost every close to every day That's because awesome. yeah, because every, well, because Pat was a workout fiend. And so, so Pat would always come out to practice, you know, and, and just kind of watch practice and stuff. And then he'd go in and he would get on that, um, the stair, the stair mask you know, the ones with the real stairs go, mm-hmm. And that dude would be on there for hours. I mean, he'd just be going crazy. And, um, and after practice, we always used to have to run or whatever, you know, we'd run forties or run hundreds or whatever it was. Well, I was always excused from that as a player cause I had such knee issues. So they just made me go in and ride the bike. So I would always ride the bike for like 15 minutes, you know, like I would, I would basically just sit there and uh, I was always, you know, the bike was right next to where Pat Bowen was working on his uh, deal. Um, and I, I would always just be just going to town on that thing, having a good time. And we'd always have these conversations um, during that. So I, I, I talked to Pat a bunch um, and uh, he was always, I mean, he just always was great. He was great that way.
0: Mark, were you hated by your teammates because you got to go ride the bike and they had to go run? Cause I think I would have a little bit of beef with you if that was the case.
1: Uh, no, they knew. I mean, they like, no, they, there was no animosity that'd be like watching me run is, is painful. They'd rather just have me off the field. So, uh, yeah, no, that was, uh, and plus they knew that it wasn't me trying to get out of anything. It was just me. It was the Broncos managing my health. And so you have to understand that when I signed with the Broncos in 95, there were a lot of people that were saying it was a horrible signing simply because of my injury history. And, um, and I owe a debt of gratitude to Mike Shanahan, the Broncos, Pat Boland, um, because they did a great job of managing my health. So, you know, when the other guys are taken, you know, in a 10-play period, the starters are taking, you know, probably, uh, I don't know, six of the 10 reps mm-hmm. in a 10-play period. Um, most of the time, by the middle of the season, I was taking two of those reps wow. at best, sometimes not at all. And so it was the way that Mike Shanahan managed my career that ended up allowing me to play another six years because I wasn't I was just like I was just the bare bones hey we need you in on this one blitz because it's a really strange blitz. So we want you to go in here and, and have at least one rep on it. That All nice. right. I jump in, take it, bam, I'd be back out. So um so they did a really good job of of managing my career. You know, you you mentioned animosity. You would think that would would create animosity because um, well, I always joke around with him. Dave Diaz Infante at the time was a player here was my backup, and he and I were best of friends. We studied together, we prepared together, and he affectionately was dubbed the stunt guard because he would do all my he'd take all my practice reps, and then I play on Sunday. And if there's anything that would would create animosity, um, that would be that would be it but that's the kind of team we had like this is going to help us be a better team so like i'm in and so dave was like i'm in i'll do all that i'll do all the work during the week for you and you play on sunday so you can play and um and we remain very close to this day um and and that's kind of team that's kind of sacrifice to be a great championship organization those are the kind of sacrifices you have to be willing to make it's uh You know, there's old saying. It's amazing. Um, It's amazing um, what you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets credit, and that's something you have to understand as as a as a team if you want to have great success.
0: Mark, see, this is why we love having you on Coffee Break. We love these types of stories. And another player that has dealt with some injuries is KJ Hamler, obviously having a torn ACL. He also ended up having hip surgery um, this season, too, while he was out. But he spoke to the media yesterday, so let's take a listen. Playing ball again. You know, When you, I feel like when you take something that you love away, you know, it, you kind of figure out, like, like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, so, but, you know, I've been picking up new hobbies, things like that, just to. You know, because I'm not just football, you know, Um, but when I'm on the field, I'm just football. (laughs) But, um, you know, just trying to find an identity outside of football as well, and that was probably the hardest part for me because all I know is football, but, um, you know, just picking up new things, you know, new hobbies, being around positive people um, that bring light and energy to your life is a big difference. I like to skate, roller skate. I can't, I ain't been doing it lately, I ain't been doing it lately, but um, all my boys know we used to. That's what we grew up doing, ice—you know, not even ice skating, like roller skating. You know, uh, if y'all ever seen uh, like the movie ATL or Roll Bounce, that's what we do. <laughs> I love this for multiple reasons. One, he was so open and honest about how he loves to roller skate, which is something you don't hear often. We were actually talking to Tyler Palumbus, and he said there's so many things that go in a player's contract that you're not allowed to do. And you would think roller skating would be one mark. So I want to ask you, what was the most dangerous thing you think you ever did during your player days?
1: Um, I, uh, I grew up on on riding motorcycles, dirt bikes. And we organized or, or somebody on the team organized this, this motorcycle event. And it was for some charity for some calendar, you know, and we're going to take a big ride. And you know, I in passing, somebody asked me if, you know, I, I like motorcycle. And I was like, Oh yeah, I grew up riding motorcycles. Oh, will you be a part of this with us? We're doing this for charity. And um and I was like, Yeah, sure, but riding street riding and, and dirt bike riding are completely different deals, right? And I'm on this giant harley and it's a two and a half hour ride on my day off or four it was like a four hour day we drove we rode up in the mountains and it was i was miserable i hated every second of it um and i didn't like being in traffic i didn't like riding on the streets and i thought and i kept thinking to myself like if i die on this stupid motorcycle ride my wife is going to kill me like it's just going to be not good so that's like Cause I, I, I was always so beat up and, and always in a rehab mode. I didn't do anything during, you know, during the season or during the off season that would jeopardize my health. I lifted, you know, I, I, I ran Hills. I did a lot of stuff like that, but I wasn't out, you know, Hey, let's pick up, let's play some pickup basketball. I wasn't out doing anything that, that you could potentially tear up my knee or whatever. So, that was probably the dumbest thing i ever did and i hated every second of it
0: <laughs> i love the honesty so i put together a list of the top 5 most craziest or the most like worst hobbies that you could have as a professional athlete so mm-hmm. we'll put that up number 5 is actually a unique one but it's video games because so many players especially for basketball and baseball they get tendinitis in their fingers when they're playing so often that they have right issues in their hands. So that comes in at number five. We'll do number four next. And we put rollerblading or skateboarding. You know, you could fall at any time. That's why I was surprised KJ was so open and honest about this because you could easily fall and break a bone. Kids do it all the time. Number three comes into other sports. Now, Mark, you actually mentioned this because you mentioned you never played basketball. How many times do we see stories of professional athletes that are out there playing a sport that they don't typically play And they end up getting hurt. We'll go on to number two now. And that is motorsports. Another thing you mentioned, dirt Mm -hmm. bikes, ATVs. Those are all so dangerous. I mean, obviously, they're so much fun, too. But, yeah, as a professional athlete, I feel like you got to stay away. now, Mark, I have a question. What do you think number one is on my top five list?
1: Wow. Um, So we already covered other sports, ATVs. Uh, Gosh, I'm at a loss. I have no idea.
0: Think Colorado.
1: Uh, hiking, mountain climbing.
0: Ooh, close, close. But we got skiing and snowboarding coming oh, yeah. in okay. at number one. Uh, very dangerous. I can't imagine many professional athletes are up on the mountain um, that often, especially during season. But those are my top five. I thought that was a unique list. But I think that uh, video gaming's being on there is truly just something entertaining you would right. never think about.
1: The ATVing is interesting too cuz if you've never ridden them, you know, if you if you go back in my day the the three wheelers were really big. If you remember the old three wheelers and they would always tell you, man, if you're starting to tip over, don't ever put your foot down. And it's just a natural human reaction, you put your foot down to balance yourself, but you get your foot gets caught in the back tire and it rips you right off the it rips you right off the ATV. Yeah. So it'll like the back tire will catch up to your foot and it'll rip you right off the thing. So that was always uh that was always big the kj hamler thing is interesting roller skating because when i was growing up as a kid rachel and i'm 100 years old so this is way <laughs> before your time but roller going to the roller rink was a big deal like birthday parties at the roller rink and all your friends would come you know you get the rental roller skates and you roll roller skate around you know and
0: they had like and, the dj uh, and the fun lights
1: yeah, the DJ and the fun lights. And then there was always you know, the slow dance for when you got to like twelve or thirteen when the girls would come to your birthday party. Yeah. So uh the slow roll, I guess it would be. But uh so it's really it, I don't know that roller skating rinks are big anymore or that they even have any of them anymore. But uh back when I was growing up, man, that was a big deal to go to the roller rink for a as a matter of fact, you mentioned uh skating and roller skating. Um my sister Actually broke her leg at the roller skating rink uh, at a birthday party.
0: Oh no! Well, first of all, I'm pretty yeah. sure they are still big. Because I have some friends who have like nieces and nephews who have gone and done like skate city birthday parties. I did, I think, a skate city birthday party when I was younger too, and I had a lot. of I think it's still big, kind of in that elementary school age, right? You can put a bunch of kids in one area, and you can like all be independent too. But yeah, I mean, I personally cannot um, like skateboard at all for some reason. It's just not me. I need to be Uh physically attached to something. I'm able to snowboard, but or um, skateboarding is just not for me i'll fall okay. how many bones have you broken mark
1: uh i don't just i don't know i mean i've i've broken a lot of fingers uh but i don't like i, I never really counted i've never broken like an arm or a leg or anything like that mm-hmm. ever but just mostly just my fingers from playing um which is a pretty standard when you play on line of scrimmage you're you're gonna have a few broken fingers and a few dislocated fingers and things of that nature. So that, that is just par for the course. Um, but it's not like they really do anything for those, Rachel, you just buddy tape your fingers together. Um, and, and you go on. I, as a matter of fact, I, uh, one of the longest drives I've ever been a part of, I think it was a, a drive. It was Washington at New York, the giants. And, um, and we had a, I believe, it was a 19-play touchdown drive, and I broke my thumb in that drive somewhere around play seven. And you know, and you don't you don't come off for a broken thumb. You don't come off for you, you don't quit playing because you broke your finger. Um, you know that would be taboo. As a matter of fact, Brian Habib. Brian Abib, who played right guard for us when I was playing left guard here in Denver during our first uh, championship run season, um, before he got to Denver, he was in Minnesota. And he got his finger, he got it, the top part of his finger, right, like right here, chopped off between two helmets. So it snapped, it got snapped between two helmets and it just popped the top of his finger off. So he he was minus the top part of his finger, he barely had any nail. It was like a little nub and it smashed it between it smashed off. So two helmets smashed finger and the finger, the tip of the finger came off in his glove. And he finished that drive. His gl- his, his glove is full blood and they took, they took his glove off to look at his finger and the top of his finger was in the glove.
0: Oh, so, my God.
1: <laughs> but that's like, that's the game. So that's what you, that's what you do.
0: Oh, Mark, you're giving me like the EBGBs is just even thinking mm. about that. Oh my gosh. And I'm holding my fingers <laughs> for dear life. What? But The rookies got their numbers for the Denver Broncos yesterday too. So we officially know the numbers of a bunch of new players out on the team, but that led us into thinking, Mark, a lot of players will try and trade things to get numbers. So what was the craziest thing that you've ever seen exchanged for a number?
1: like you know what that has become that has become more of a recent thing since i retired mm-hmm. so when i was playing it really it really wasn't a thing um now remember when i first got when i first got in the league there was no free agency right and then um then they opened up plan b free agency i think in 1990 and so plan b free agency was the guys that you didn't protect on your team. So it was the bottom 10 of the roster, bottom 15 of the roster. So the, they're not come one. They're not making any money. Nobody was making any money. So they don't come in and go, Hey man, I got to add this number. Here's, you know, like I'll give 50 grand to your charity. And like, no, nobody was, nobody was paying any money. So, and those guys weren't, they weren't, of the ilk to, to come in and say, Hey man, I want this number. Now, when I came to Denver, when I came to Denver, some, uh, practice, a practice squad player was wearing 69 Mm -hmm. and Doug West, um, was our equipment manager and Doug West. They, they put me in, I don't know if uh, my, the Jersey had hanging in my locker was 62 or 61 or whatever. And I was like, all right, whatever. You know, it's, it's a number. What do I care? Right. And um, the next day I walked back in and I had 69 in my locker and the rookie guy had maybe it was 67 and the rookie or the the practice squad guy had the 67 in his locker and I had 69 in my locker. So I went to Dougie West. and I said, Dougie, what like what happened? Change of heart or did he, he just hand over the number or what happened? He goes, no, Mike Shanahan came down and goes, what number did you give him? And he goes, I gave him sixty-seven. You know this practice squad player. And he goes, I don't give a rip about the practice squad player. He goes, give him the the number he wore in Washington. And so Shanahan basically gave me my own number. And and there was that was the end of it. Shanahan said, you're no, you know whatever the kid's name was, I don't even know the kid's name. You're no you're no longer sixty-nine. He is. And so that's the way it went for me. So that was the way it was back in in those. I can't imagine being so tied to a number that you're willing to give up, you know, the, the kid Thibodeau in the Giants gave his one number five, which was the kicker Graham Gano, And, uh, and he, Graham, you know, to his credit gave Thibodeau the Jersey number five uh, in exchange for a $50,000 donation to pets behind bars, which is a really cool organization. But uh, like, I don't know, man. Keep your fifty thousand bucks and wear four or one or three or whatever. I I just I it doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever.
0: That's where I'm at. I don't understand, but I guess some people just have those ties to it. But Mark, I appreciate you so much for hopping on Coffee Break with us this morning. We appreciate all the stories, all the insight, behind the scenes look at everything. Thank you.
1: You are so welcome. Take care, Rachel. Have a great day.
0: Thank you. And thank you everybody else for tuning in to Coffee Break. Make sure you're back tomorrow morning, 1030 a.m. Cecil and I will be breaking down the Broncos schedule release. We'll see everybody later.